So, my first computer was a 286, like an IBM PC. So I, I don't have all that much retro cred. I don't have some kind of Atari or Amiga or even an, like a Mac or Apple computer, one of those cool ones. Uh, and I didn't do any programming on the 286. And the computer after that, I think, was a Pentium 120 megahertz. So many megahertz. It was so such a powerful computer. Um, running Windows 95, 98. Uh, and actually, I think we ran a preview of Windows 98 at some point while it was still under codename. But yeah, so Windows 95 was, or 98 was what I was on when I actually tried programming from, for the first time. And I guess that that's sort of what I had in mind. Like, what do you actually need to do programming? And maybe, maybe we can get into what do we actually use to do programming. But what you need to do programming in my book is a computer, typically. Like you can program on paper, but it's it's almost pointless uh, unless you at some point have a computer to put it into. I've done code on paper because I was at school and wanted to write the program when I got home. But yeah, the Pentium one hundred and twenty megahertz that was that was what I wrote my first computer programs on. Some. A little bit of C++, and then I got into HTML, CSS, and uh, JavaScript. And then I think I was on a Celeron 300 um, when I started getting into Perl and PHP. And eventually moving on to faster computers. But it's always been essentially PCs for me that I've been using. And and just whatever hardware came with the PC. Uh, what have you been? What has your hardware path been? My father was a teacher in programming and other technical stuff like um, yeah tech uh, on the gymnasium uh, in the local town. So, of course, he had a computer as part of his work um, work tools. So, uh, we always had computers. And I think one of the first ones I started playing games on was a 66 megahertz. Could it have been a 386? Something like that. With or without floating point processor, I don't know. Yeah, that's um, an important part. Yeah. I've also seen IBM had a fantastic computer. It was shaped like a beige bag. What's those bags that um, when you look at the mob movie, they have all the money and they have a name in English too. A uh, briefcase. Yes, like a briefcase, but big and beige and made of plastic. And you could carry it with you and then plug it in at the next place. Yeah. Uh, so 
Is that a tabletop computer? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not a laptop. Indeed. I want to build a modern version of that one because it would be neat to bring to a LAN party. Uh, yeah. Especially if everything in it was locked in properly, so nothing could be stolen. Yeah, I saw some absolutely wild old laptops recently in someone's Twitter feed, which had these, I don't know what they were called, but it was some kind of gas-based display. The plasma was, display? I guess. And they were just wildly sharp, like monochrome yeah. and in a weird color, but they were super crisp and extremely cyberpunk aesthetic. I would love to sort of repurpose one of those. I wonder <laughs> if you could drive the screen in any meaningful way. But maybe. And just shove modern guts into it. Yeah. It was also big and chunky and had like a a rear that could contain an absolutely absurd amount of components. So yeah, you could certainly fit a modern sort of full bore workstation in there. That's so nice. Uh, so I've always had uh, computers around me and uh, I started programming on one when I was, I think I was 16 or something. But before that, I uh, looked at my father programming and after a while I learned to see when he had forgotten a semicolon or something. Uh, so I was the, I think I was an absolutely obnoxious pair programmer. No, you were a linter or yeah. a compiler. You're yeah. checking the syntax. Totally. Seven year old. <laughs> uh, so that was grand. Um, then I, I started programming for real on a, I think it was a, a an old discarded Pentium PC, 133 megahertz. Uh, and then soon got myself a some gigahertz um, AMD Atom thing. Just before, I think I bought my computer just before Intel released their Core Two Core Two Duo. So yeah, was. which was probably the first really good multi-core, right? Yeah, consumer level multi-core. Yeah, Intel just owned the CPU market for a decade or something after that and then they lost it but so i i when i got myself a computer which could actually play games i kind of stopped all the <laughs> programming <laughs> or at least all the hobby programming i still didn't programming in school and so on i switched a lot back and forth between sort of interests but programming always came back just as sort of web design and visual work uh, always come came back because of that sort of creative pursuit as part of that. I just knew, like, if I play a cool game, part of my takeaway is always like, I wonder if I could build something like this. <laughs> yeah. It's never just, like, I almost never just consume some kind of media and think, oh, this is, this is just a great experience. Very, very... Uh, satisfying oh, okay i'm done i don't have further thoughts on this it's no it's always like okay but how do they do it what's required what's the production like 
how feasible would it be for me to do, uh, especially with computers. And I guess what sort of put me into this gear was probably doing some like early web development and desktop publishing tools, <laughs> just because it put the power to create a small newspaper in my hands. Ooh. And then I could do web pages and then I could w do web web apps or systems uh, that had interactivity. And at that point, in some ways, I was on equal footing with anyone on the internet. Oh, yes. That's true. And I, I guess that sort of has dragged on into what, like whatever I do, when I find a new YouTube channel, I'm always keeping an eye on the sort of meta of how it's made, what the conventions are, how it's structured, how it works. Even and with with the years, I've even started caring about the business parts of it. That's <laughs> so that's that's always sort of been my driver, and that's why even when I've been playing a lot of video video games, it's like okay, but can I build? So if I play a lot of League of Legends, it's like but maybe I could build a stats website, or maybe I could build something that does analysis of this or that, or yeah, it's always been always. Like I've spent more time in a lot of map editors than their respective games. Huh. Nice. I I was going to say for a while that I thought you had an engineering fanfiction brain, <laughs> but I don't know when when you started to talk about business. Is it a a MB an a MBA engineering fanfiction? I don't know. We don't use that word around here. <laughs> I like dirty words. Talk financials to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um. Excel spreadsheets. It's like uh. if I if I really wanted someone to talk, uh, uh, so talk financials to me. I do have have my wife who's an accountant, so. That's true. This just turned really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know what you were thinking. But probably uh, not at all. Yeah. No, but it's not that I find sort of the admin and how a business works all that interesting, but I do care about like with the years it's become much more clear to me the amount of effort that any given sort of venture or project takes. And if I want to do projects, some of them actually need to pay for themselves. So, yeah, financing is important. Yeah. But this let's let's segue this back. So something that doesn't require a lot of cash to get started with is programming. It does require access to a computer. But you can actually get started with essentially any computer that you can access a website with these days. So if you only have access to a computer at the library, you can still learn how to program. It will just be inconvenient. It will be comparably inconvenient to <laughs> learning how to program before the internet or uh, just on a slow old computer. Yeah. And with the right systems and sites, you it might even be more convenient. So there's there's sort of glitch 
I think it's glitch.io but or glitch.app, I don't remember. But they have super easy setup for, for getting started with some types of uh, backend development and building building systems. But we should be very clear, like these computers that we got started on are so weak by today's standards. So yeah. the Raspberry Pi 3 will blow most of the computers I started learning on out of the water. And the Raspberry Pi 4 will laugh at it. Yeah, I think the Raspberry Pi was the small one. Uh, zero. Yeah. That one is actually more powerful than my first computer. Yeah, I don't remember what kind of uh, clock speed it has. But then there there are other aspects that like where where a Raspberry Pi might actually be resource constrained compared to some of what we grew up using but it will also have other parts where it's absolutely faster. Yep. <laughs> so um if you really want sort of a minimal getting started environment, I would probably look at sort of the Raspberry Pi 400, which is the keyboard one. So it's a keyboard with a Raspberry Pi in it. It's so cute. Have you played around anything with it? I haven't got one, but they have released a Swedish keyboard version, so Ooh. So I'm very tempted. Yeah. Yeah, but that... So that kind of sets the level for what you might need for getting started with <laughs> with the programming. Like, you don't need anything more than a computer or access to a computer. But there are so many more levels to go if you're talking about, like, what... What would I recommend for someone working professionally as a programmer? It's like, <laughs> if you're just getting started, use whatever you have. Uh, just get going, get get uh, hands-on, get some habit of programming. If your computer is super slow, consider if you have the opportunity to get a faster one. That's a good investment in sort of your interest and... Uh, if you're planning on becoming a professional programmer, it might actually be an investment in the sense that it will pay back dividends. But yeah, w what would you recommend for someone getting started with programming hardware-wise? What do they need? I think a Raspberry Pi is the right, right size, right stuff. Um, doesn't even have to be one of the newer ones. An old one works too. Raspberry Pi 1 might be a bit too slow, but... Yeah, and it's a little bit... Yeah, it, it's slow and it's a little bit annoying in I.O. things. Yeah. I don't think it has HDMI. <laughs> oh, okay. But also I would say, rather than getting a Raspberry Pi just for programming, if you have a laptop with which can run Windows decently or anything, essentially, even if it's a Chromebook, I think you can get started there. Yeah. Chromebooks are a bit locked down when it comes to what you can install on them. So glitch IO or something. Yeah. You can switch them over to Linux. Uh, you can also do just web-based stuff. Well, if you're more into the financial aspects or just a really, I don't know, gutsy kid <laughs> or person, 
Uh, it's probably not impossible to ask uh, the friendly neighborhood tech company if they're throwing away some laptops soon. Mm. And ask them if uh, they could sponsor you with a laptop. Yeah. Uh, it might work. Yeah, it definitely might. Or uh, if you know someone, uh, especially if it's someone you... If you're young and you have someone you look up to that is doing tech stuff, try to talk to them. Because they just might be throwing something out soon and like you can have... You can have a leftover computer, and uh, that's a good way to get started. Yep. Sort of progressing from that. So I think when when you get into like if you're an in, uh, like a junior or inexperienced programmer, getting like straight out of boot camp or uh, whatever training you're doing or teaching yourself, I think it's very common to have a laptop. And I think a laptop will do fine for a long time. What I would suggest is looking at getting a dedicated keyboard and a separate screen. Yep. <laughs> Just to so the screen is to avoid uh, too much, too much uh, load on your neck. Just being hunched over in front of a laptop, and the keyboard is because most laptop keyboards are not good enough for long-term programming. Yeah. So I don't know about you. I think you have some experience with RSI. I definitely do. I do. It's it vary, varies over time how much I have. Yeah, I essentially have no problems with it right now. But I know that if I spend two hours on a MacBook keyboard and using the trackpad, I will feel it. And if huh. I spend eight hours doing it, I will probably be in pain. Wow. I don't think it's like an indictment of the, of the Mac hardware necessarily, but that's what my repetitive strain is. That's, yeah. that's how I use the laptop for the longest time. Uh, I even did it with a separate Magic Trackpad and stuff. Uh, just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. It's really non-ergonomic to me and... The things that have helped the most are like a good dedicated mouse, sometimes a trackball. Right now I'm using a trackball. Uh, and a split keyboard, split ergonomic keyboard. So I did one of those Microsoft natural ergonomic keyboards for a long time. They're fairly affordable. I think it's like, uh, I would say 50 bucks, 500 Swedish, something along those yep. lines. Maybe, maybe a bit more. I don't remember. But I've had those in different iterations. Um, and some like Logitech are essentially the only ones making trackballs. So, so that's what you're getting if you're getting a trackball. Yeah, I think Kensington are making trackballs also. Is that the big also. red one? Uh, the big blue one. It looks like something from Star Trek. Huh. If Star Trek didn't only have touch screens but had trackballs also. Oh, neat. Yep. Yeah. And like if you're uh, really elite, you don't actually need a pointing device, but but no one's that late. Nah, it's, it's good to have a pointing device too. Yeah, it really helps. Yeah, especially when there are programs that don't work with keyboards. <laughs> My current <laughs> keyboard actually has bindings for controlling the mouse. Interesting. Yeah. Do they work? Yeah, they work fine. Uh, I don't use oh, them nice. a lot because it's still less 
sort of organic and smooth than using yeah. pointer. But yeah, I so I would say like getting a decent keyboard and getting a decent mouse, a decent screen, just making sure you have the basics settled and not sitting hunched over a laptop is sort of the next step out of that would be my step after getting either your first job or if you just happen to have some money um while going through the training that's sort of protecting your future by not wearing yourself out yeah but it's not necessary to do programming i mean that's you can true probably learn to type a little bit faster with a slightly more uh, practical keyboard because laptop keyboards aren't always great and sort of trackpads and uh, built-in pointing devices are usually not that great either. Like dedicated peripherals, I, I recommend that. Having, so like conference calls are not part of programming, but it turns out they're very important in programming. <laughs> so if you have sort of a MacBook, uh, macbook pro computer you have a fine conference setup but a dedicated headset helps but also doesn't matter for your programming as such it's... what are the cases you see where you actually do need um actually do need sort of powerful computing hardware because what when we both started uh I think our programs built fairly quickly and we could run them fairly quickly. So it was fast, even on those old, slow computers. Unless you were building something bigger, in which case you started, you could start to feel it. Yeah. But these days, like what actually taxes a computer? Uh, I can think of two things just from the top of my head. The first one is um, compiler advanced compilers the most compilers nowadays are advanced um, but especially ghc the glasgow haskell compiler or the glorious haskell compiler depending on who you ask it's very noticeable when used on a more powerful computer yeah i've heard swift so, compiles quite slowly as well and that one does yeah. a lot of weird sort of type inference and um, yep. yeah it, it does a lot of advanced work at compile time uh, which yep. which is not necessarily sort of uh, guaranteed to finish in a reasonable amount of time exactly and also uh, the rust compiler which if i recall correctly uh, builds on the same backend framework as swift uh, also loves a fast computer yeah so that would be llvm right Yes. Uh, so when I uh, when I did my master thesis, I uh, did it on a laptop and on my uh, workstation, and it was noticeable how much faster it went on uh, my workstation because I do uh, change some code, uh, compile, and then run the tests and iterate that way, and then it becomes important that things are fast. Yeah. Uh, I could, of course, also had 
not run as many tests, not run as many many iterations of the test. They were property-based testing, so each test where I think it was a hundred uh, randomly generated stuff, uh, usually programs, yeah. which is interesting to randomly generate. So that's the first thing. Uh, then when a compiler is used, uh, especially an optimizing compiler with many bells and whistles, then it's good to have uh, lots of raw computing power, uh, especially in the CPU department. Another place. Yeah, RAM, CPU, and usually it might be beneficial to have fast disk, depending on how big the project yeah. is, I think. Oh, yes. Uh, an SSD is so worth it. Yeah, so an SSD is definitely one of the big sort of improvements to to computing in, in modern years, um, yeah. especially if, you're, if you have a desktop computer with sort of DIY or where you can switch out parts, like having your operating system on an SSD and having all your projects on an SSD is incredible. So yeah. I built my new monstrous computer fairly recently. So it's it's a workstation computer or workstation style computer, I'll, I'll say. It's not, it, it's on a Ryzen 5950X. So it's 16 cores, 32 threads. Wow. Uh, 64 gigs of DDR4 RAM. It's uh, like I went for overkill because I do not need it. <laughs> but I've been doing okay business-wise and I wanted to sort of get myself a fast, a really fast computer. If I'm going to sort of leave the the world of being on a, a nice, uh, well-designed Mac for my desktop computing then I w at least wanted to take advantage of what you can't do with a Mac, which is spec it uh, to a ridiculous degree and enjoy the speed. Yep. Because the like the only really fast Mac is ridiculously, ridiculously expensive. Like the, the entry-level model costs twice what my computer did and doesn't r run nearly as good. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So... Or I, I imagine it doesn't run nearly as, as fast. But this one has NVMe storage, which is like, I believe it's like five times faster than a SATA SSD. That's silly. Yeah. In a very good way. Yeah, and the SATA SSD was like, what was that, 20 times faster than a Spinny? Yeah, and it's faster in another way because lots of the delay, which can't be accounted for, which you never know how long it be, is, disappears. Yeah, so spinny hard drives are good at sequential reads because they have to move a physical read head over the disk. Yep. Think of it as an LP player, vinyl player. And while an SSD can perform reads sort of in parallel, or it has better random access uh, performance. Totally. So the actual sort of performance improvement is is often bigger than than what the pure sort of bandwidth would would uh, imply which is cool yeah yeah so totally. so being on one of those drives is fun uh, <laughs> but i don't actually need this computer this level of compute for anything i do but it does make a lot of things faster <laughs> so i work with elixir and erlang a lot and those are compiled languages they compile down to beam bytecode yep and 
sometimes that takes a bit, especially if there's a lot of macros and sort of recompiling and, uh, and that kind of complexity. So it's like, it's easy to underestimate how much faster something can be when you're like, yeah, but I bought this laptop recently and it's fast enough, right? And I have a MacBook that might be three, four years old. And I think it takes between 10 and 20 minutes to compile Erlang. Huh, yep. Uh, To compile the the Erlang compiler and tools. Um, Yep. And I think this computer takes like two. (laughs) One of the great drawbacks with a laptop is that they become hot in a completely other way than a workstation because there's nowhere for the heat to go. But with a workstation, there's a big chunk of aluminum for the heat to go and then a huge fan. Yeah, I have a, one of those all-in-one liquid coolers. Cool. So it, there's actually a pump just shifting uh, warm liquid to, to a bunch of fins and fans. It seems to work. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so now we have two reasons to get a stupidly fast computer the first one is if you use a compiled language um, with lots of um, bells and whistles in the compiler the other reason is if you want to compile Erlang sometimes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and run dialyzer I guess yeah so dialyzer can certainly take take some time Um, yeah yeah but there are certainly languages that are more prone to to noticeable compile times, especially sort of ahead of time compiled languages. You really don't notice it in the same way with interpreted languages, though sometimes those can get real slow on sort of initial load and stuff. And that's usually because they're doing the that very thing. But yeah, due to all of the compiling not happening up front, it's usually not as noticeable. Yeah. Uh, there's also another use case for when just silly amount of ROM and uh, processor are really good to have. And that's when you want to run a small, a small horde of uh, containers on your computer. Yeah. Or a bunch of virtual machines. Yeah. And since I'm I'm slightly skeptical <laughs> of the whole concept, I try to avoid it. But yeah, it's quite useful when someone else says, we want containers, please do your development in a container and run this integration test suite before you do anything stupid. Yeah, and... So <laughs> software expands to fill the available uh, performance, essentially. Yes. So software development definitely does. And now there's now there's all the Docker stuff and there's uh, Vagrants and virtual boxes. I guess both of those are a little bit old now. Yeah. But yeah, a bunch of Docker containers and a bunch of databases. So usually... It's beneficial to have a decently powerful computer because we keep shoving new stuff on them to run. Yeah, I don't know if that's healthy, 
but we do it anyway and we call it progress yeah that's that's what the situation is so yeah sometimes your computer will not be enough uh, for for a modern development environment yeah i am so happy though that moore's law has been i would like to say that it doesn't hold anymore but then people will say it sure does we can still fit more compute per area mm. on the silicon die and yeah sure you can but we come back to the cooling yeah so someone said that if we don't take care of the cooling soon we will have something that produces more heat than the sun on the size of a stamp <laughs> or they might not have used the same hyperboles but and then some cryptocurrency yeah. people will be like but we can use that heat to warm our house it's gonna be great yeah i have a serious beef with the whole crypto community yeah me too <laughs> And and not the fine ladies and gentlemen that do cryptographic research and all that. No, the, cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna state here. Cryptocurrency is not the future. There we go. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my feeling as well. I do not get excited when someone says blockchain. But I think there are potential uses for blockchain. One of the better ones I've heard is sort of for certificates, uh, so educational certificates and stuff. Ah, I thought you meant let's encrypt, but with the hype. <laughs> let's double crypt. Oh, yeah. No, but there seems like there could be a decent way of managing, of not requiring too much trust and coordination between different institutions, but still allowing different institutions to essentially publish certifications to the same uh, to the same distributed store that sounds nice yeah that sounds like a decently useful use of the blockchain yeah so if i start uh, honest andy's uh, certifications honest andy's mba uh, yeah, yeah exactly limited never thought you would ask uh, then i could push my honest mba certificates to that store but i couldn't push let's say a an mba certificate for uh, chalmers or yeah exactly like that. that that would be the general idea and i i think the idea is also that only particular approved parties would be allowed to be on it which then sort of uh, eliminates some of the point of having it distributed and zero trust. Yeah. But I guess if you don't actually want to manage the trust, you just want to sort of white, uh, allow list people in, then yeah, that sort of makes sense. Because if someone suddenly starts misbehaving, you can just go, okay, let's let's not trust that one in particular. Like, uh, yeah. it's... Uh, like you can still communicate that their reputation is garbage. That's true. And still let them publish. Or rather, maybe you can't stop them from publishing. But yeah, yeah, that that's sort of an interesting space where I think it could be useful. Yeah. I still think it can be solved in another way. Mostly it can be handled with a d database. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
or an uh, Excel spreadsheet uh, properly back backed. Yeah, backed up. Yeah. Um, so never underestimate the power. But then there there's another use case for sort of big amounts of compute, and that's on the GPU side for machine learning. Yes. Okay, you can <laughs> you're gonna grind all my gears. So today, like machine machine learning has also has way too much sort of extra hype around it. Yeah. But I don't find it useless. Ah, that's true. And I don't find it act necessarily uh, intrinsically actively harmful to the society. No, not not as such. No. It's just harm. It's like the math isn't pointless. The math isn't there to harm some harm things. Yeah. It's and it doesn't make people want to go wild and just burn energy for, for no societal good. Uh, I mean, it's often used frivolously or pointlessly or even harmfully. Yep. But it's also used for perfectly, perfectly reasonable <laughs> operations. Totally. And it's, I think it's a really sharp sword in a very strange shape. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes some education and care to not cut oneself and everyone around. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a great fan of, of the simple parts of machine learning, though. Yeah. Uh, like Bayesian inference and things like that. And like, if you're getting into data science or machine learning, odds are you might end up needing a decently uh, beefy sort of GPU or something. And I hope you got one a few yeah. years ago because you're not going to get one today. <laughs> because of the cryptocurrency people. Yeah, mostly. Grr. I was hoping that they had to mine so fast now that everything was on ASICs. Oh, but I think... So we could get back the GPUs. So... Let's see, ASICs is when they've implemented the crypto stuff in... Um... In silicon. But yeah, they done that for Bitcoin, I believe. Yes. But I don't think it has been done for Ethereum. Got it. And I think there are a few other coins or a bunch of other coins that also aren't susceptible to, to that. I mean... I think they should mine faster so we can get back our GPUs. I think they should stop mining because it's pointless. All right. Yeah, that too. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just really hoping that they will dig too greedy and too deep and find a Balrog. And then we can get back our energy and our GPUs. Yeah. So actually, I did not mention what GPU I put in the system. And it's like I, I pulled the GPU out of my home theater computer because I will not be <laughs> looking to pay for a GPU right now. I might buy a, a decent GPU once, once if ever things become a little bit sane again on that front. But I don't really need a powerful GPU for the system. I think I had a 1080 that I pulled and that's, that's perfectly fine. Nice. I think the most important thing with a uh, proper graphics card is to be able to use many monitors. So the Raspberry Pi 4 can drive two 4K displays. Wow. I actually tried it. <laughs> did it work? Or I, did I just run one? No, I think I ran two. Yeah, 
I mean, it's specced for it. It will run it. It will run hot, but it will run it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it needs it needs that chunk of aluminum. Yeah. Yeah, it does. We all do. Huh. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm just using one monitor. So I don't know why I think it's so important to have many monitors. Yeah, so I have one. And this is this is maybe a curiosity for, for people who aren't so used to uh, developer hardware. But I'm using one of my monitors in the vertical orientation. Ah, good stuff. And yeah, that's you see that fairly often with developers. And that's because you can stack much more usable uh a much more useful set of windows in a vertical orientation usually especially if you're doing a lot with sort of terminals and browser windows yep. you usually don't need widescreen but sometimes you really need long screen yeah where you, where you can read sort of a full log uh of the last hour or something uh and just or you can just set one up to scroll past on your screen so you look really cool that's also a legit use case. Yeah. And my other monitor is landscape, and that's the one I have straight in front of me. And I have the vertical one off to the side. Yeah, it's a classical setup. Yeah. But what what sort of special hardware have you upgraded to over the years? Oh, this is... <laughs> in many ways, I'm a laggard, if you look at the adaptation curve thing. So... I have I bought a uh, quite nice gaming computer in 2013, I think, and uh, soon thereafter I bought a Dell monitor, 27 inch something, uh, and some time before that I bought a Philco Magistouch. I don't know if it's pronounced like that. It's a mechanical keyboard, Sherry MX Blue switches, so I can't be in the same building as another human being while I use it. Um, works perfectly for me. Is that your small black keyboard that you have with you when you you go places? It's the big brother to that one. Okay. And the small one is still a Philco Magistouch, uh, but it's 10 key less. So no numlock and those kind of keys in that group. Yeah, so no number pad at all, right? Exactly, no numpad. Uh, and it's Sherry, Sherry MX Brown keys, so it's not as clicky. So more quiet? Yeah, it can be used uh, around other people, I think. They um, haven't complained yet. Should try that someday. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, that's my setup. Uh, I bought a webcam a month ago or something because people would like to see my face. A recent upgrade. Uh, yeah, and I also bought a some kind of cheap uh, KVM thing so I can switch between uh, the work computer and my computer yeah. with a key press. And that's about it. KVMs are weird. Uh, I oh oh yeah they are I also have a uh, setup to record myself yeah so microphone and stuff yeah so uh, the NT2A 
is the microphone road i think is the is the international way of saying that it is huh if you say it in danish and a zoom h4 to uh talk to the to do the phantom stuff phantom voltage things so the the microphone works out also a uh, the rode uh, microphone boom which has grown on me it's become better and better it apparently i needed to know how to set it up properly before it became really good uh, so that's basically my setup uh, it's yeah not too fancy i guess what's your take on kvms so I got myself a KVM when I was switching regularly between uh, my gaming Windows computer and my uh, MacBook. I was sitting in front of the same screens. So I had a little bit of a weird setup in that I was switching only one of the monitors, I believe. Hmm. Because I was only using... Let's see, I was only using the Windows computer on one monitor, I believe. And like the Mac OS was great at keeping track of which monitor was which and Windows was absolutely terrible at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there were also some things where because the KVM switch wants to keep sort of the keyboard connected to both devices and just switch them in software. Yes. That meant that it abstracts away as a sort of generic keyboard oh and that meant i lost a bunch of uh, usb hub functionality on my keyboard and like my mouse was not as cool as it was supposed to be like i lost essentially lost features on my peripherals because of the kvm that's disappointing and i had a lot of sort of hdmi issues occasionally yeah Uh, so kvms are it's like a very sweet idea and it they are really useful but they can also be super screwy yeah it would be my, nice if they were implemented properly maybe it's because uh, you need a kvm for like a thousand bucks or something before they become really good yeah i wonder if there are kvms that will that can i mean i'm, I'm not sure how feasible it is for with USB to actually proxy things properly. Shouldn't be too hard, just electricity. I don't know if you can sort of make a USB device talk to multiple uh, hosts simultaneously without it getting weird. Probably not, but yeah. yeah. So, but then and then you would be swapping which it's connected to and that would mean it's going to sort of reset which some devices will do slowly yeah i'm i'm not sure how easy that is to fix hmm that's a good but maybe there's something smart you could do i don't know like i would love to have a mode for usb devices that say I'm connected but sleeping. <laughs> Please do not disturb. Yeah. yeah, so I've used KVMs or a KVM and I rather liked it for what it did to my setup. 
Like I didn't have to switch peripherals to use multiple computers, but it also didn't work perfectly. Yeah. Which is gets really old. Yeah, so soon. Uh, I have a Mac Mini here. I was intending to put the decent use, and I'm currently not using it because that would mean figuring out some sort of switching scheme. <laughs> and I don't trust my Linux desktop to actually handle that gracefully. Uh. With one sort of one monitor suddenly going, like disappearing and coming back, I think it will collapse all of my workspace onto one monitor, and I will get annoyed. You're running i3, right? I think it will handle it kinda well, as good as it can, at least. I should try it at some point because I yeah hmm yeah uh, interesting. It's i3 is is it's surprisingly good at handling many monitors and connecting and disconnecting monitors. I used i3 on my laptop, still do, but I used it when I was the chair of uh, meetings. So I connected my laptop to the projector. Is that an English word? Ah, uh, whatever. That showed the the slides for the meeting, and it was uh, uh, surprisingly nice thing to do uh, it would have been even nicer to have another monitor which just mirrored the thing i had behind me or a mirror <laughs> would have worked well too but i never figured out a good setup for yeah. that yeah so fidgeting around with multiple computers is always a little bit of a pain yeah but what i've done for sort of upgrades to my setup over the years so i finally got one of those super nerdy uh, split keyboards that don't have a stand sort of standard layout so which one this is the the moonlander oh i don't remember what the company's called is like zsa or something is it are they doing the ergodox too yeah so it's this is the ergodox moonlander essentially okay got it uh which is a very neat keyboard i'm pretty happy with it and uh, it took uh, a bunch of time to adapt to because it's it's weird. And I also type in two different languages, essentially. So I switched it between Swedish and English layout for getting Scandinavian, like my Swedish uh, characters. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And I could honestly figure out a decent setup where it's always typing Swedish letters because... Swedish is a super set of the American letters. Yep. Uh, but I haven't bothered to sit down and figure that out. Mm. But it's a super useful keyboard. It has a nice split. It's very adjustable, so I can uh, I can set it up in a way that doesn't hurt my hands at all. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've been very happy with it, and I'm looking forward to trying it for travel. The most I had... It has nice. a sort of... full. It folds up for travel... And has a nice pouch and everything. Ooh. But the only travel I've been able to have reason to do with it is bring it with me in when I was doing some uh, some working overtime and uh, actually bring it into the house to do some evening work. And it worked well for that. But it, yeah, not the same as trying it for real travel. Indeed. So it's, what is it, 20 meters between your office and your house uh, or something? That would be stretching it a bit. 
17. Door to door? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Depends on which yeah. doors you measure from. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to measure this really scientifically so I can get those 17 meters. So it's been, it's been a very good keyboard. Uh, I'm curious to try something more minimalist and maybe, maybe more square for, for travel at some point. Yeah. Uh, because this one is a little bit bulky for that. And then I have, uh, I just upgraded my trackball actually. I had a log Logitech, uh, corded one. No, wait, it was, wasn't corded. It had their little, their little wireless doohickey. Yep. But it was battery driven, like uh, uh, normal old school batteries. Ah, <laughs> uh, some of those AA batteries. And I've switched to one with rechargeable battery and some more features. It's tiltable. It's nicer. Cool. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called though. Uh, it's a recent Logitech uh, trackball. Gray with gray. <laughs> Got it. I, when I was like 13 years old or something i had played so much computer games that my uh <laughs> that my right hand broke or in some rsi it broke into rsi pain so i got a logitech trackball for uh, my birthday and i used it for many years until the keys broke on it i think i have it somewhere um so i it's not impossible that I will do some horrible uh, Frankentrackball uh, in the future um, because it's it's kind of cool. Just gotta gotta remove the switches and put other ones there. Anyway, I used to play Counter Strike with it, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the cool things you can do with a trackball that you can't do with a mouse is to give the trackball lots of speed so just <laughs> and in a first person shooter that means just rotating like mad uh, and then press the shoot button preferably with a machine gun or something stupid like that it was glorious it was also absolutely stupid and i had no um I didn't hit anything when I played Counter-Strike using that setup, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that was mostly me being bad. I don't blame the hardware. I do know that there was a League of Legends mid laner, super technically demanding, high intensity role that was playing on trackball. Yeah. He was cool. he was pretty good. So they mentioned yeah. it every time he was playing that he was playing on trackball because <laughs> I guess that was his thing. Was he a pro? Yeah, 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 pro. Uh, oh, so okay. top level in I don't remember if it was EU or US, but oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, so that's the that's the sort of peripherals I deal with yeah. right now, and I've I bought a camera mostly because I want to record videos, and then I ended up rigging it for having the nicest video conferencing uh, and now it's stuck there so so I <laughs> you need another one I have 4k video conferencing but I no longer have a, a camera available to record things with <laughs> unless I really want to dislodge it uh, and I have some extra lighting and stuff since I do record a fair bit of video these days yeah 
Uh, is it a webcam or is it something something else? No, so this is a Sony uh, like ZV1, I think. Cool. Uh, something like that. It's it's their vlogger camera, so it's semi-serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. So that's why you look so pretty. I have a I have a high resolution face. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. And the lighting is good too. What do you use for lighting? So uh, three pair, like uh, three windows. That's a good start. on the left side, and on the right side, I have an Elgato um, key light. Is it one of those panels, RGB panels? Yeah, so it's a panel standing on a stick. I do have a big old ring light that I can put on a tripod as well, but that will sort of clog up the room a little bit, so I don't use it right <laughs> now. I don't need it. You simply need a bigger office or a studio. I think I have plenty of space. I just don't like the way it looks. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and then I have... So I also have a boom arm for my um, microphone it's not a very well suited boom arm for this microphone i used to have one of those yeti yep uh, blue yeti okay just to reiterate like no one needs this stuff for programming <laughs> this is stuff that i have because i like gear yeah same here <laughs> but i think you like gear more than i do uh, but also, I do record a fair bit, so I have good excuses for wanting this gear. But I have it because I, I like gear. I could do all of this stuff with a phone, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, my m- microphone used to be a Blue Yeti, which is not a great microphone in many ways. Uh, but it's an okay microphone. Yep. It people tend to end up buying it because it, it's what's recommended for a lot of streamers because it's a gaming branded streamy branded microphone and it talks usb you don't need an external yeah and it talks over usb it has a few different settings which can be useful yeah but yeah it's it's okay um but mine broke but i had the boom arm for it and the the blue yeti is a chunky boy uh it's heavy yep so the arm is very strong and then i bought uh what is this an Audio Technica, and like, what is it called? It's called ATR 2100X USB. Really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, perfect. So, uh, fine microphone. A little bit quiet, honestly. Yep. But that's that's pr- to protect from clipping uh, or peaking, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but it's it can be a little bit annoying like if you're on a zoom call that's typically handled by zoom it tries to normalize uh, but yeah your recordings will be low but that's fixable in a in uh, processing it's just you need to be aware of it yep and it might be partly because of the interface i'm using i don't know i don't think it's a bad inter- interface uh, so this actually works over usb if you want this microphone you can just use USB C. But I have it plugged via an XLR cable, like the real pros, uh, into oh, yeah. a Focusrite, Scarlett Focusrite. They should be good. Yeah, so it, I'm considering getting a different microphone, probably one that uh, that takes phantom power. Yeah, phantom power. It's uh, so good. Which means that it actually 
it's actually actively powered instead of sort of passive or whatever this is. I think it's called a dynamic microphone. Yeah, so this is a dynamic microphone and ostensibly it doesn't pick up that much background, which is nice. Yep. And I don't know exactly what I would go for next. Dynamic is pretty good because I don't know how much background noise I would have otherwise. I do have a computer humming along right next to me. Yep. Uh, my microphone is very good at picking up my share noises, but otherwise it behaves. <laughs> I'm <laughs> usually having my window open and uh, I think it's all right. Yeah. So if you're a professional programmer and you work remotely a lot, I would suggest improving your setup in different ways, but it doesn't have to mean like you have mon like a microphone on a stand. I've definitely considered, but haven't had much luck with, pairing up my Bluetooth earbuds for video streaming because I'd rather not have the headphones on if I can avoid it. Yeah. Just feels nicer not to sit around with headphones on for a long time. And I think... So I have a small microphone I could hook up. I haven't had much luck on that with that one on Linux either. This is a running theme with some of my audio gear. <laughs> <laughs> the the interface on the microphone works fine. Yeah. But yeah, having... So just making sure you have decent enough gear. Like if, if you're getting paid to be a software developer, you will probably be able to afford, depending on your country and all that cost of living sort of deal like essentially depending on what you're getting paid uh, but most software developer salaries where we're from means you can probably afford to upgrade your situation a bit you could also probably ask your employer for some uh, for some support in making sure you have a good conferencing setup yeah but it, that'll that'll vary but i do recommend it because it is and improvement quality of life for you and colleagues. Yes. Speaking of quality of life, what chair do you have? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that's actually... So, chair and a good desk. I, it doesn't have to be a stand-up desk. I use the stand-up feature on my desk sometimes, but not often. But I, I'm glad it's there and it's good. But yeah, having a good chair and a good desk, that also comes to this long-term damage prevention thing because programming is a very sit-down for a long time kind of work. Yep. So I really recommend making sure you have some decent stuff there. Uh, I don't know the brand of my desk. Uh, it's something decently fancy because it, got, it has a nice top. But it's nothing <laughs> nothing I remember the name of. My chair is an Ullman Night Flight, which I got it specifically because it's good for tall people. It doesn't it's not a gamer chair. Like gamer chairs are terrible for ergonomics, in my experience. But they are good looking. Yeah, but they're they're sweaty and they're terrible ergonomically. They're not meant for sitting at a desk. They're designed sort of after a racing seat which has no overlap with <laughs> with desks yeah that's weird racing seats are very good for not bouncing around too much 
in a car. Yeah. But nothing else. What it does to me personally is that it moves my shoulders forward, which I don't need any help with, thank you very much. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so I did I did use a gaming chair for a while, but the Ulman Night Flight is um I need to get paid more for talking about products. <laughs> <laughs> we should never have started. <laughs> uh, but yeah, previous employer had these for everyone. I like the... It's not like, oh, this is the most comfortable chair I've ever sat on. This is fantastic. It's just I have zero problems with it. It has not caused me to have back pain. It hasn't caused me to have... Uh, uh, pain in the rear after sitting for a long time it's just a good solid chair that keeps out of your way and is very minimalist it has an optional head headrest it has a bunch of settings for sort of depth and stuff and it it works for tall people so i'm almost two meters and uh, yeah that's <laughs> that's important for me <laughs> Yeah, I use I've removed the armrests because they prevent me from getting close enough to the table in my book, and those are those are just dismountable. What do you use? I use I don't know what brand the chair is. It's I got it um, when I was nineteen. I moved to Linköping to study at uh, uh, the. Linköping's Tekniska Högskola. It probably has a very good English name. Um, the Technical University there. Line Coppings Technical High School. Uh, <laughs> are you a bad machine translating algorithm today? Oh no, actually it would be Line Coppings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Institute of Technology at Linköping University. Wikipedia says. And uh, it didn't work out too well. So I think I got a yellow belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, quite a bit of um, uh, study debt to pay back. And I bought an office share from a corridor mate. So he had bought this chair in Södertälje some years earlier. And uh, when he moved away from uh, Linköping, or when he moved to Linköping, I don't know, something, he didn't need it anymore anyway. Uh, so I bought it from him. And that's, that's a very long time ago. 2005. So And it has kind of worked through a lot of different places. It's starting to fall apart now. So I guess I'm going to get a new chair soon. Serious lineage on that one. Yeah. I mean, so the tell, yeah, that, that's, that's a small place in Sweden. It is. Uh, so, but it's a, a serious chair. So I think it was sold from an office that did some okay. yeah. upgraded their shares or something. Uh, it's one of those nice chairs you can use as a very bad rocking chair. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have that feature too. Yeah, and that's the reason why it makes so much noises. Because I lean back and it goes... Yeah. Have you tried the Ikea Marcus chair? Because that I feel like that's one that often shows up and I've seen people go like, oh, this is great, I, I got this one. And 
and it's been great uh, in thread com like in chair conversations. Huh? Never. I don't think I have. So that's the. It can be colorful. It has a mesh back. It's. It looks like it's. So I've had those. They're yeah. terrible for me. I think like chairs are much like keyboards, much like mice, much like anything like what works for you will vary. Yeah, I think I've tried an IKEA Marcus at your place. That's quite possible. So we, we got two of them uh, at some point when I think that was when me and my wife were moving in together for the first time. Because I think I had a slightly garbage chair and she did not have a good one at all. So we got those. Uh, one color each. Nice. And then they've they've tagged along and we're, st- we're still using them. I just don't use it for my, my day-to-day work because it's terrible for my back. Yeah. If I recall correctly, it was kind of meh. Not... Yeah. Good, not bad. The good part is that it has a mesh back, which means you don't get super warm unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Good summer share. Something I would recommend people do when it comes to hardware and computers is consider whether a desktop computer might actually be useful to you. So if you want to keep things minimalist, you're probably going to end up with a laptop because that fulfills all the roles if you really need it to. I really like having a place to sit down. Granted, I I work remotely all the time, so I have a home office. Yeah. But I like having somewhere to sit down, and I like to sit down and work at that place. And the way I work, I typically don't need to switch between mobile mode and <laughs> seated mode all that often. So I don't have the need, need to be super to have a super tight sync between sort of my mobile devices and whatever my current piece of work is on the desktop. And if I do need to bring that stuff with me, I'll, I'll just get push and then pull it. And all the other things you have in the cloud in some or another form. Yeah. Like all, all the passwords and your password manager, that's kind of thing. Yeah. So my plan when, when travel is a thing again, is to use a MacBook or my iPad pro for, any travel-y things. So if I need, will be wanting to do development, I will probably be using the MacBook. Long-term, I will probably switch that one out to a MacBook Air just to have a very travel-oriented device. Yeah. But like, I, I don't think I know of any laptops I find more compelling for travel than MacBooks. They They really have a good efficiency yeah and they can take at least a light beating too so it's yeah and that's good. they can take a pretty decent beating if you're lucky yeah <laughs> the number of times i re reconnected or like just massaged my display uh back into working on my my old 2009 macbook pro <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like don't leave me yet computer don't yeah, leave it's like me. oh it's not displaying properly a massage massage like close it a massage the hinge and open it again oh perfect it's it's back <laughs> nice that was that was a lot 
it, it got ding, dinged on sort of doorpost and stuff. <laughs> Ouch. I, when I started at Chalmers, I bought myself a ThinkPad T400. Uh, and it was of the old lineage of ThinkPads. So you could basically use it as a, a blunt weapon and it, it would still work afterwards. Uh, or uh, drive it over with a tank or something. Uh, and it was a really good computer. Uh, sucky keyboard and bad panel. Uh, so, okay, maybe it wasn't really good, but it was charming. It had character. And also it worked. Which it I had guess character, is, is so nice. much character. Yeah. Uh, and I think it weighed three kilos or something. Uh, kilograms, that is. Uh, and then it got wet because... It rained a lot when I walked home <laughs> and the backpack got wet and the computer in it got wet and the computer was turned on in suspension or suspended mode, something like that. Yeah. After it was done, it was in a suspension. Uh, but <laughs> so it never really started again. So then I got myself a ThinkPad T440S which was their, you know, the missing link computer. <laughs> it, uh, it makes true ThinkPad fans angry just by existing. It's amazing uh, because it doesn't have any buttons for the touchpad. Oh. It's only a huge touchpad. And it goes kabam <laughs> when you click it. Uh, and I really like it. Uh, I like the touchpad. I like the keyboard. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, the panel is also really good. It's a proper panel in contrast to the earlier ones, which were eh. Uh, and it's not a TN panel, but an IPS panel. The big bad flaw with that computer is that it can't take a beating at all. So it has seen some... Something has pushed on the monitor uh, or on the back of the computer where the panel is or the monitor is. Uh, so it has a halo. Oh. <laughs> and also, I usually run in split mode. Uh, or So I have a one window on the left and one window on the right. And it depends a bit on what's what. Uh, so there's a line through the middle of the panel <laughs> for when... I don't know if it's some kind of ghost or something, but it's there. Um, but if I ignore that, <laughs> it's still going strong. <laughs> I think I bought it in 2014 or something, and I'm going to use it until it's down to atoms. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. So I was going to sort of go into how being a programmer for a long time has has sort of made me a little bit desensitized sensitivized uh, yeah desensitized i think words desensitized <laughs> yeah sure that that's a hard word yeah. <laughs> callous I, i've i've been that to sort of new tech or buying new tech or dealing with new tech 
It's like I, I'm not super enthusiastic about new tech usually because like setting up a new device is mostly annoying. Yeah. If it's sufficiently cool or sufficiently exciting in what it will offer or how it's designed or whatever, that will certainly make me more excited. But then there's... I think I have this worse than a lot of people because I used to work at a company that handled a large amount, a large number of computers. Yeah. So it leased uh, computers to schools. So one, one computer per student programs and stuff. Wow. I think I was there when, when there were... Uh... Yeah, when, when either collecting or preparing to hand out. Yeah, so many computers. So many computers, just pallets and pallets and pallets of MacBooks. Of yeah. That makes you less, uh, less enthralled by the fancy silvery aluminum, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's like yeah yeah all computers look the same this is boring and uh like the pc these were focused on mac computers early on yep but later on they they started doing pcs and chromebooks as well and i will say like the the pcs and chromebooks were really really dull yeah uh, but but the MacBooks also lost all of their sort of aesthetic and design charm because it was all just all the same all the time. <laughs> and you saw them at their dirtiest. You saw them at crisp and new. It just got a really, really unimpressive after a while. Yeah, I can see that. And like the same with iPads. I've seen more iPads than I ever care to. <laughs> Yeah. So that sort of desensitized me to um yes to hardware in in a few different ways. The most interesting or most fun hard things I do with hardware is when I build my own computer or help sort of build my in-laws a computer or something like that yeah. where where there's actually a desktop computer with components and stuff. That's quite fun and also feels much more crafty. Oh yes. And and you can try it and see if it works and do all kinds of... of yeah, uh, and it doesn't tell you hello when you start it up and it doesn't have the same setup program that you've seen a million times. Yeah, and when it actually works, you can uh, strap all the cables together and make it pretty too. Yeah. I think I put hard drives and removed hard drives so many times from this computer that I just cut open all the straps and yeah, it's, it is what it is. Airflow be damned. But like hardware isn't super important for, for doing software development. Like any old laptop will let you get started. Yep. But I think it's also a mistake to not upgrade when you're getting settled into, if you're doing it as a profession, I think it's very useful to make sure you have good tools. Even if you're doing it sort of freelance, like make sure you get good tools. If you're getting started as a as an inexperienced dev or you're trying to build your experience before stepping into the industry, if you have uh, the capacity, do like if you have the finances for it, do try to get a faster computer. But that that's not what's going to determine your sort of success by any means. But I think it's a, 
it's a good investment yeah it's just having a a tool that does not make you too angry <laughs> yeah so i i definitely when i've worked with people in my business who's hasn't had a good computer when they they've been working with me and i see that they and their computer struggle under the load of what it's trying to do i've definitely made sure like okay but we we can set you up with a computer just let's figure out what you need and if you want to keep it after having dealt with it for a while uh you can probably buy it off of me uh but but let's make sure you have a good computer that's good it it pains me when like this applies to loved ones as well not just professionals <laughs> like if family around me are dealing with crappy crappy tech just because they're sort of it's a tricky balance because i don't think people should throw out tech at the first sign of sort of slowness or being a little bit old yeah but at the same time people some people will suffer through so much just because like well this is how using a phone has always been. It's always been knowing it. Like, but you could have it so much nicer. You could have it so much better. <laughs> you deserve better. <laughs> yeah, we all deserve better tech. We'll, we'll see if, uh, if my recommendation that brought my, my in-laws to actually get a MacBook Air with an M1. Wow. If that pans out... They're well, well aware that we don't know how long one of those computers lasts. But my thinking is that it should last for a good long time because it does not have moving parts. Yeah, anything less than 10 years is bad. Yeah. I mean, you'd probably be annoyed with it by 10 years, but it should still work in my estimate. Yeah. You can also have random hardware failures that are hard to sort of prevent. But, but yeah. Sure. I think my record for a computer is probably... So the 2009 MacBook lasted me until 2016, I think. It had a good run. That's good. Yeah. And then the main board died. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. I'd already upgraded it with more RAM and SSDs because that was an upgradable MacBook, which was nice. Oh, those were the times. So... What's your thinking for like a future computer? You're going to ride this laptop until it crumbles. That's what I've understood. Yep. And you have a decent gaming computer that you work stationarily at, I guess. Yeah. When I'm not on a computer from my employer. Uh, so oh, then I use my... You have uh, the client hands you a computer and you work with that. Yeah. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it was is it, wait is it is this a consulting agency's <laughs> computer or is this the actual client providing you a computer so the consulting agency they bought me a fancy laptop i think i've used it three times at most it's generally just in my bookcase uh i should probably charge it again soon so the batteries don't die um so I haven't had really any use for it because uh, my first client, they had a really shitty uh, HP Elite book, I think the name mm. is. It's it's very it's a very interesting computer. It has the same idea like the old ThinkPads. It 
can take a serious beating. It weighs tons. Um, it has that aluminum. It has an ugly aluminum finish. And it, the keyboard is worthless. The trackpad is worthless. The panel is bad. <laughs> and so on. It's slow. All in all, a great computing, computing experience. Yeah, so, so if you give that to all your employees and all the consultants working at your company, they will be really expensive to pay because they won't get as much done as if you would have, have handled them something good. But I, they probably have a good reason for this. The point got them cheap in bulk. I was going to make. <laughs> yeah. Um, which they don't do with employees in Sweden, but whatever. Uh, the point I was going to make was that it ran some uh, enterprise version of Windows with all the VPNs and stuff like that, Microsoft Outlook, uh, the whole Office suite, suite installed. Mm. Uh, and everything set up perfectly for this workplace or, well... It was on there. Perfectly, within quotation marks. Uh, yeah, it only took a bit of setup to actually work. Um, so that was really good. I wouldn't want to, to put that kind of stuff on my computer. Uh, and uh, so that was nice. Uh, the big catch, though, was that I needed Linux to develop. And I couldn't run a virtual box because there was something odd with the hypervisor things. It's, it needs to be enabled in BIOS because security. And I could never do that because security, I guess. So that never worked. So I always SSH'd into a, a computing cluster in outside of Stockholm somewhere. Uh, and the trick there, which I found out after six months or something, eight months, was to never run the... Don't put the code in your home directory because that's mounted with NFS and really slow and weird in the ways NFS are. Um, <laughs> one particular way is that on NFS, a move isn't atomic. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff with NFS. And, and that screws up so many things. Um so, to get it fast, put it on slash temp. <laughs> and then commit and push all the time. <laughs> just just mount a tempfs and you'll have uh, an in-RAM copy of the code. Yes. So, that made uh, I think it made it at least twice as fast. Uh, so, okay, let's pop stack. Uh, and so that was a sucky computer, which I connected using my KVM setup or something like that. Uh, and now I have a... Dell, I think it's a Dell XPS 15 or something, some generation, where it has a much better panel. It's actually good. Uh, it runs Ubuntu, which works kind of well. Um, not as well as I want to. Uh, and it has a slightly broken keyboard, which doesn't always respond to key presses, which is frustrating when you want to type in a password. <laughs> Uh, but that doesn't matter too much since I just connected using my, my external keyboard. And it also has a one of these big, um, what's the name for that? Docka, på svenska. Mm. A dock. A dock. It was so easy. Good. 
So it has a dock which is connected by USB-C to the computer and it works almost all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those, God damn it, Dell, you made both of them. <laughs> what is this? Ugh. So, yeah, I I'm not too impressed by these machines. I've been glad that I haven't worked with clients that require me to use something, some hardware of theirs. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been the case. I did get the Mac Mini because one of my clients have some compliance requirements that I don't want to impose on my main machine. Sounds good. But that's that's about it. And so I've been I've been blessed in that way. So yeah. Yeah. Work with organizations that don't need to install a bunch of crap on your machine. That's that's my suggestion. Uh yeah, I would love if they just would hand me a virtual machine. Just an, an one of those virtual machine files. Yeah. Or that they run it in their own cloud or something. So I just connect to it. Yeah. That would be amazing. But we're not there. Yeah, virtual cloud machines. Maybe that's next. I did try to set up my iPad for, for working with just sort of a machine in the cloud on AWS. It, it sort of worked, but I didn't find the experience very compelling. Overall, I would say just just have have a decent computer, set some stuff up locally. Don't worry about the virtual too much. It's going to be fine. <laughs>